0: Well, very good morning. Yeah, thanks for
1: coming. And Nick's just going to share a little bit about um, what's coming up for him and then then give us the message. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Kristen? Kristen or Kirsten, sorry? Kristen. Kristen. I got it right. (laughs) right. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to church this morning. If you're here for the first time, you're especially welcome. This is my second time here, by the way. So uh, I, I just want to say it's great to have people in church, be it the first time, second time, 15th time, 500th time. You're always, the church is better when everyone's here. Uh, Louis, right now, he can't be here because he's going to fill my pulpit this morning. And I've been invited to come here. I am sorry, I was due to have come last weekend. And so we cleared the roster for my wife to be with me here last weekend. But she got COVID the weekend before. And wisdom prevailed. So that was her second time, by the way. We'd all had COVID already. Uh, but wisdom prevailed, and I said, in case I got it, I better give Louis as much advanced notice as possible, and I postponed a week to come over. So he was already coming to Romaine Park for this weekend. Uh, unfortunately, that means that neither of us get to listen to each other's sermon. We'll have to watch it online. And I am coming through Loud and Clear online? Awesome. Excellent. For those that are joining us online, those that are watching the sermon, we want to give you a special welcome to part of the church And I would love to say this, while we value you being out there, we would love to see you in here. Church is so much better when we do church together. You can't do all the one and others of the Bible if you don't gather. It's just an impossibility. Now, for some times, you need to do church online. And I had to watch online two weeks ago when my wife had COVID, and I was a close contact. And I had actually preached the sermon online and... Out on a video and watch myself preaching with my daughters there around the TV. And they greet me, and I, and I thought, I wanted to shout back. I couldn't be part of it. And, and it's, it, it's a weird experience to sit down and listen to your own sermons, by the way. But it, it's, what, you know, it's, it's worth doing. Well, as I mentioned, Louis is a great friend, and he is over filling my pulpit this morning. It's taken us a while to get to this point. We've talked about it. COVID interrupted, all those kind of things, challenged. Challenge that we've had, and I'll, I'm going to say, I'll have to watch it later, I'll, I'm going to miss him preaching it today, but I, I trust that he'll be blessed as well, and I hope that you are blessed here. Now, I have a primary gift in my life, a ministry gift of evangelist, and I want to leave you a bit of that gift this morning. If I come here, you know the Bible talks about the fivefold ministry gifts are for the training and equipping of the church for the work of the ministry. So it's not Pastor Louis job to go out and win everyone to Christ. It's not my job. It's actually the job of each or every one of us to reach people. So I think Louie's doing a fantastic job. I, I, I love your church. I love it. I mean, the music's fantastic. It looks great. You all look great too. I'm not just trying to say that to butter you up. You are. You're good people. But you know what? Be, I, I, I've heard... And I've experienced in my own life and churches all around the world have experienced the same thing, that with COVID, many people have stopped coming to churches. And that's been incredibly sad. It it grieves God, it grieves us, because some of those people that are not coming to church are our friends and our family members, and we just watch it. And and some 30% 30 of church folk around the world have stopped going to church in the Western world. It's not unusual. It's happened in my church. And it's very, very sad. And I think the only thing we can do about that is to keep sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and win new people to Christ. Oh, we want the others back. But one thing we've woken up to is that we put on a bit of a show for people and people will come along for the show and when the, when the, when the shaking went on with COVID, some have dropped out. And when they've dropped out, we find out that we weren't really making the disciples we're meant to make. Hello? Jesus says, make disciples. I am gripped with the cause of Jesus Christ and my heart is gripped for the lost. And I want to explain to you a little bit about myself and a little bit about my background and then at Louis' request to share with you about something I'm about to do. I'm about to take a sabbatical for four months away from my church. It's a big risk. The church will want to let me go as I go trained to be even a more effective evangelist. But what happened is um, with the outset of COVID, I began to realise that we have the answer to the problems that the world are facing when every idol that our, our society held to, wealth, careers, health, leisure, Everything was pulled back in, in two days. Remember when they put us in lockdown? Jobs, two million jobs went in two days. And all these people were terrified what's going to happen. And, and the fear of, of COVID was, what's going to happen? And I know the reality is not, nowhere near as many people have died as we might have expected. Could happen. But all of a sudden, our hearts were gripped with the idea that we are not in control of our own destiny. You know, the Western world, we thought we were in control for so long. We, we thought we had it all together and we thought we could manage it. Well, with that COVID interruption, I thought, God, we've got the only answer for the issue that really plagues humanity, which is sin and death. And we haven't got any opportunity to get it out there to the people who so desperately need it. People are lost and going to Christ as eternity. And my God, what can we do to help? Where does it start for me? Well, I was saved at age 13. And I was saved from being a bit of a, well, a heathen. Godless young guy. Living for myself and doing whatever. And at age 13, when Jesus saved me, he really saved me. And it put in me an expectation that he wants to do that in other people as well. And so I remember when I was 13, I was quite a sick kid. I could stay home a fair bit if I wanted. When I was sick, my parents would let me stay home. And at age 13 or 14, I'd be home reading through my Bible and God would be talking to me about, uh, well, about himself, like just learning from the Bible and just feeling that challenge of who he is. But he began to put in me a vision to share him with my friends, the lost one, the people in my class, the people in my school, and I began to see a vision of me preaching the gospel. And that was really strange because there is no way known that I ever wanted to talk in public. I said, God, I'll do anything for you, but don't ask me to talk in public. If I had to do a, if I had to do a talk for a school, you know those, the, how you do them in class? I would wag for two weeks just to get out of it. And I said, God, I'll do anything for you, but I won't preach in public. I'd wait for the assessment to be over and I could never never actually imagine myself preaching or speaking in public and yet God put a call on my life to preach the gospel to see people saved. I actually remember being gripped with the plight of people at that point and I think COVID kind of turned the switch back on for me and gripped my heart again. Because I began to realize that without Christ, that a crisis eternity equals hell. At the age of seventeen, I had grown a little bit. I'd been involved in youth, and I had started to do public speaking a little bit. But at age seventeen, I went to the Philippines on a mission trip. Anyone done a mission trip to another country? If you haven't, do one. They're phenomenal, life changing. But I went to the Philippines, and I had been given the job to share the word at the, on my last morning to a Bible college prayer meeting on the morning and I thought I don't have a clue what to say and I don't know how I can speak to all these really clever educated people who know more about God than I'll ever know at least I thought that well at age 17 all night I stayed up <laughs> So God, I'm not going to just preach anything. I want a word from you for these people. So I prayed all night, all night. It came 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. I still felt like I had nothing for a 5 a.m. prayer meeting when suddenly the room was filled. Well, this is how it happened. I felt the still, small voice of God speak. Be still and know that I'm God. You know that song? It's the verse in the Bible, but I began to sing that song just quietly. And I got down on my knees and I just waited there quietly before God and the room was filled with the presence of God and I can only say I experienced a baptism in the Holy Spirit I stood up and I began to preach a sermon I would never practiced or rehearsed as the Holy Spirit whispered a word what have I been saying to you and what he'd been talking to me about is he called me to preach the gospel that was 17 I went back to year 12 and finished my schooling At the end of 18, age of 18 and 19, after school, I travelled around with an evangelist. As I had this heart that said, if I can do it over there, why can't I do it here in my own nation? God would just save our people. I've done other missions trips to South America and Europe and I've uh, been over with Aboriginal outreaches and I've been off into Asia numerous times and Fiji and other places to preach the gospel. And yet I still feel that I'm very ineffective as an evangelist because I preach the Gospels and sometimes people don't get saved you know how that, that grieves my heart I think I must grieve God, grieve, God, grieve God's heart too that people can sit in my church for week after week after week unsaved and I'm going for it I'm, I'm, I'm giving it the best I've got when I went through Bible college, I would be preaching on the streets and people would get saved. In King's Cross or Fairfield or Liverpool or Parramatta in Sydney. After Bible college, I went and church planted and in two years, we saw 200 people come to Christ. And there came the second point of grief for me. is 200 people prayed a prayer and only 40 stayed following Christ. It's one thing to introduce someone to Jesus, but we need to help them become disciples of Christ, don't we? That's a real key factor. As a young man, I thought what I'm gonna do with my life is just win people to Jesus. <laughs> That's all I wanted to do, but you know, life got the bit of the better of, of me. By about the age of 45, I sort of thought, well, I've not really done that effective at this, and I've got family, I'll just go, and I'll move to a little town, a little city called Burnie, in Tasmania, take a small church, And I'll become a contemplative pastor, a praying, prayerful pastor. If you know anything about me, you know that prayer is a priority in my life. And I want it to be a priority in your life because it is the foundation of everything that we do. Prayer, not just for ourselves, not just for our family, but for those around us and prayer for the lost. Well, after being here for about a year, COVID hit. And like I said, God turned the switch of the evangelist back on. It just gripped me. I began during the lockdowns to do online training with some of the evangelistic um, groups called Christ for all Nations, Billy Graham uh, Evangelistic Association. I did online training with all these groups and learning all I can about discipleship. And because I did that training, my name must have been on the register, and they rang, one of these groups rang me, Christ for All Nations, which was Reinhard Bonnke's ministry. They rang me in February this year or March this year and said, have you considered applying for our our evangelism school? And I said, oh, well, I probably considered it, but I didn't see how that could ever work. It's four months. It's thousands and thousands of dollars. And the lady said, if God wants you to go, he'll provide every single cent for it. This lady from Queensland from the, working with them. And I thought, oh, that's okay. I Put it out of mind. I then go to Sydney for, some, for a Bible college masterclass. And I got COVID. And I get put in a lockdown. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, I'll put it in this application. At least it's a donation to one of the most effective evangelistic groups out there because God loves sinners. And if I can't win them, I'll do what I can to help someone else do that. Do that. We pray we give, and we go. Well, that was during the week, and then then they sent me an email saying, we want to interview you on Saturday morning at 3.30 a.m. I did that interview at 3.30 a.m. in the morning. By 11.30 at night, they gave me an offer saying, we want you to come across to America to train with us, and then come across to Africa and be involved in our evangelism. Uh, So... I spent a day thinking about that. That was Saturday night, 11.30pm. I read the email. I watched a little short video where they try and talk you out of it. Don't come if you, if you think you already know all the answers. Don't come if you think you're going to be God's answer to the world. Don't come if you've got any other agenda than winning the lost. Well, I gave, I gave it a day and then I showed it to my wife, thinking how could I leave my wife and my kids for four months? So Sunday night, after the kids have gone to bed, I have an 18-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 4-year-old. We wait a while for the old ones to go to bed nowadays. So to get to have a chat, private chat, you're until quite late at night, aren't you? Well, I had a private chat with my wife a bit later and showed her the video. And she turns to me and she said, you, this is exactly what you need to do. She told me actually a few weeks ago, a number of months after, she said that wasn't as strong as she felt. She said God told her, you have to do this. But not only do I have to do this, they have to come with me. She didn't say that, but I knew that by then, after a day. So we have seen miraculous provisions coming in for this. Uh, Like even just the the flights are probably about $15,000 and... And then the training is another twelve and a half thousand dollars and the accommodation is gonna be eighteen thousand dollars, and you think this is an incredible amount of money in America. What but God's just been providing and providing and providing. What happened is I heard Jesus say, Come follow me. And I said, Lord, here I am, boots and all, I'm coming. And I want to encourage you guys as well. Have you heard Jesus say, come follow me? It doesn't necessarily mean going to the other side of the country. Sometimes it means going to the other side of the street. Jesus said, come follow me. So we're going for the training, but that's not our primary reason. We're going for the relationships and the connections it will build. Again, that's not the primary reason. Most importantly, I'm going because I think God's going to leave a deposit in my life that is for the good of this area of northwest Tasmania. We have a history of revival in this area, and we have a prophecy for another one. And I'm praying, God, use me and use we for this. So that our churches can't, be, can't contain what God does. So that we need to plant more churches. So that we win the lost. So we're going for all those reasons, but all ultimately for the glory of Jesus Christ. His name be praised. So I already invite you to please uphold us in prayer. Not just pray for me, but pray for the lost of our region. Rome, uh, I'm going to say Bernie and Romanian. Olverston needs the gospel. Oh, it's a beautiful town. I love this place. I love it, how flat and beautiful place and my great uncle was born here by the way I love Wynyard I love Smithton I love Bernie God would move across the northwest and why stop there why not go into all of Tasmania and then into the rest of Australia and into the Asia Pacific because there are people who are perishing and got, without Christ who, have a, who will spend a crisis eternity Today I'm going to be preaching to you about the need, about why we need to witness and why we need to evangelise. What is at stake if we don't? I have a couple of things that we use at my church. One of them was from the Billy Graham organisation and that is a prayer. Many of you go along to Will Graham and Alonceston. They have 10 names of people you might write down and pray for who are lost. And you don't need to have 10. What if you had three? You know, George Mueller had three that he prayed for. One got saved within a week. One after many years, the week before he died. And one after he died. And he'd been praying for these guys week in, week out. The other thing we use at my church, we've done for about a year and a half now, is an invitation card that when I'm out, I just pass it to people and others do it too. Just saying, hey, this is when our church is on. Would you come? The car's not the important part. The invitation is. People will come to church if we invite them. And I would say to my church, if you don't know how to invite someone to Jesus, invite them to church and I'll invite them on your behalf. What is at stake if we don't? Today I want to plant that seed about what would, that will hopefully germinate so that we all become a more praying a stronger witnessing church, a better follower of Jesus, and disciple-making church. I believe that you have all the re- all the things you need to do that. You're a good church. You have a great history, and I pray you have a great future. We put this stuff into practice at Romaine Park. We've experienced the 30% not coming, roughly. But at the same time, we've had so many new people coming to Christ. You know, i baptised nine people so far this year. We have another one booked in for July 24th, the day I head to America for this training. There's another guy that said, hey, I want to get baptised when I come back, when I, when I return. He wants to get baptised. And there are others sitting in there that are going through that decision-making. We had 40 people convert to Christ last year. Because we invite them and because we pray for them. Oh, should I just call you UCB? Uh, UBC? I was in Baptist Church. Should I just, can I just encourage you that if you'll pray and if you'll invite, that God will do what he said he will do, which is to save souls, to rescue the lost. Now I'm through my introduction and information about what I'm doing. I have about 20 minutes, maybe, to get through my sermon. Is that okay? I want to talk theology for a moment. I want to ask you, what is at stake if we don't witness? Let me ask you this question, and, and I hope that my answer for you will become clear, but even if you disagree with me, hear my answer for the moment and hopefully hear my heart. Is hell a real place or is it just a metaphor? How could a loving God really send people to an eternal punishment like hell? Another question maybe is how big is God? And how big is the devil? So let's look at those questions if I can. How big is your God? God is big. I mean, he is. He's huge. And yet we've put him into a box that's made him so small. We've, we've got this understanding that God can do this much and no more. Oh, we understand historically he did those things. And in the, uh, in the Old Testament or in the New Testament or even in our history, there's been revivals. But we've limited God in our expectation because the Bible says, according to your faith, so let it be unto you. If we fail to believe in God, we set that limit upon him, we actually limit ourselves by what God can do. He can break out, he's God. But as we lift our faith and begin to see who he is, he can do, he is the God who according to Ephesians can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power that works in you. We try to put God in a box, but he refuses to stay in it. What about God and the devil? Are they just two equal and opposing beings? That's a heresy called dualism. They are not even minutely, closely equal. God is the very God of very gods. He is this eternal self-existing God, the God who, who in all things exists. And there is this created being, called Satan who for whatever reason when he got so proud and said I want to be God one third of the angels of heaven joined him but that means that two thirds still stayed with God so even on that count they're outnumbered and God doesn't even need one angel to flick the devil out the devil led that rebellion but God outnumbers him two to one can I stress this to you? Big God, little devil. And we get so worried about the devil. Another question I just asked before is, that, is hell a real place or is it just a metaphor for our being separated from God? So I'd like to take some time with you today and talk about hell. And what is really at stake for those who die outside of Christ. The good news is that we as Christians have nothing to fear about hell for any of us. And yet I do fear it for my neighbours. I do fear it for my family members that don't know Christ. I do fear it for them. And therefore I must pray all the more urgently. I would say to people in my church, who is it that you can't bear doing eternity without? That person you should be praying for. That person you should be witnessing to, but talk to God about them before you talk to them about God. That's what prayer is. It's talking to God about people. And as we pray for people, God prepares the opportunity for us to share about Jesus. I mentioned 40 people getting saved in that year, last year. Three generations of families grandparents, parents and kids. Do you know how good it is to watch the whole family's getting saved? You can see it. You, you can see this if you'll pray. If you'll seek God for it, it might just be your children or your grandchildren or even your grandparents who are the ones getting saved. And why not? God is able. It might be your prodigal who returns home. And why not? If you'll pray for them. So Christ does not intend for Christians to go to hell, but he, neither does he intend for, the, for unsaved people to go there. He gave his life for the souls of men and women. But you know what? If we reject Jesus, hell remains a distinct possibility. In fact, it is not just a possibility to reject Jesus. That is the destiny. So what is hell anyway? If any of us have ever talked to a Jehovah's Witness, anyone out there talked to a Jehovah's Witness? Almost all of us have. They have this idea that there is no place called hell. There's this teaching called annihilationism. I, annihilationism. You get annihilated. You just die and you perish and there's nothing more. Atheists believe the same thing. That after this life, there's nothing more. And yet, for the vast majority of humanity, 95, 98% of humanity believe in the eternality of the soul. Now, I want to be careful here because that actually is not even what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches about the immortality of the soul. Distinction being, we all have a start. Only God is eternal. What is hell? Jehovah's Witnesses will try and explain to people that the word for hell actually is badly translated. It really means the grave. Anyone heard that before? So it's only the grave. And they try to explain to us that the Hebrew word is the same and it only means the grave. And yet they miss the point that there's not just one word used to describe the eternal destination. Of those who die without Christ. They fail to explain that it's not one isolated word that gives the picture of hell, but the vast witness of Scripture. So, what are those other words and what are those words? Well, the Hebrew word shaol, you heard that word before? It does, it means the grave, often translated as hell. But it's often linked to another word called Abaddon, the place of destruction. You go to the Greek and you've got a word that's very similar called Hades. And you have death and Hades linked together very often. And other times it's combined with another word called poor. And poor meaning fire. There's another word used in the Bible called Tatarun. In 2 Peter 2 it's only used once. But it means to incarcerate in eternal torment. On top of that, you have many times when Jesus talked about the lake of fire, the out of darkness, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And you have, again, in Revelation, that, that fire. And so I'll, I'll throw up a number of scriptures up there that you can look at. And this will be here at the church. You'll have it here. You can take those references and look them up later. But according to scripture, and not just people's preferences, hell is a real place that Jesus really believes in hell is real Jesus really believed in it he really died to save real people from that real eternal destination the question is what will you and I do about it I'm going to get the scripture about time eh can't preach without the Bible Why is the path that leads to destruction and many are they that find it the Bible says in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, and let's read it, inner by the narrow gate, For wide is the gate and broad the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Can I ask you a question? Do you think Jesus intends it to be that way? That only a few people are going to get to heaven? Is that a statement of intention? Is that God's heart that only a few will get there? Is this enough? Oh, it's difficult to find because there's only one way. It's Jesus. But I don't believe that it's Jesus' statement of intention. I think it's a statement of how it is and was. And that we now have the challenge to do something about it. God does not intend for hell to be bigger than heaven. He did not create humans to go to hell. The Bible tells me he created hell for the devil and his angels. The problem is humans that follow the rebellion that Satan led will find the same penalty that Satan finds. But Jesus died to rescue us. How good was that song? Died to rescue us. Revelation seven, nine and ten says this after this I looked and I great and behold a great multitude that no one could number, not just a few. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the the throne and unto the Lamb. If you're not convinced, 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. But he is long-suffering toward us. Here's the verse, here's the part. Not willing, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. He just won't override our will. The evangelist Reinhard Bonnke Bonky. Known for saying that hell must not be bigger than heaven. He said, It cannot be that the devil will stand there with a finger saying, Ha ha, I beat you. Narrow is the way, narrow the gates. Here's my premise, and I want to go down this path a sheep track versus a highway. See those sea tracks there and the wide highway? You all probably have been out there and you've seen the, 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 the soil just being a little track walked in and it's, it's designated because the sheep walk the same path again and again and again and it's a very, very narrow path. But it's clearly defined because they keep walking it. And the more they walk it, the more defined it becomes. Is that right? You've been on those roads when off-road and uh, they've been left alone for a while and they're overgrown, you can't see the path? Or would you hold that word picture in your mind? Sometimes we pave roads to make it easier to find. I've been for walks with with a friend of mine, Mick Polk. You know, was it Stan, his dad, from here? And we've been off in some places where there's just almost no path to see. And if they hadn't put some line markers and some things there, we would never have found our way properly. Mick doesn't worry about that kind of thing. He's very fit. And then we have highways. Here's the thing. The more time that you walk on on a road, the more you walk a path, the more clearly defined it becomes. And if each of us, you and me, begin to follow Jesus, we make it easier for the one who comes behind us to follow that path. You and me following Jesus makes it easier for another person to find Jesus. Our life becomes an example. Others see it, they hear about it, they know it. And so we make it easy for them. John the Baptist quotes Isaiah at the coming of Jesus. He says, I am the one called, calling, make straight the paths of the Lord. Lift every valley high and lower every mountain. Widen out the paths. The paths. Remember many years ago, I was probably about 19 or 20, driving from Melbourne to Canberra. Many of you have probably driven that drive. Nowadays, it's dual-carriageway highway. They're doing, they've done works there like they're doing over at Wynyard at the moment, where they cut through mountains, lower every mountain. You know, when you're going up and down mountain hills and round, it, it takes a lot more energy and a lot of your cars wear out, so they cut through those mountains. Well, I remember being stopped on the highway around Gundagai in New South Wales and I've stopped there for about 40 minutes while they're blowing the mountain up they've drilled in they put the dynamite they blow it up and then they clear the road and they let us through as they're widening the road If one person follows Jesus, you make it easier for the next one. If five follow Jesus, you make it easier for others to find. If we as a church all set down the path of being disciples who make disciples, we make it easier for the next one to find their way. And if we begin to reach out to others, we influence for godliness and for the sake of Jesus. And when you get those roads really busy, that's when you need the bright lights. The lights on those highways is kind of amazing. We are called to be the bright lights on the broad way. I know it's a narrow way, but if we keep walking, it's gonna get wider. We're gonna make it easier, more defined for others to find Jesus. Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That picture just before was the Wynyard Lighthouse, by the way. Just I feel, had, had to use local pictures. A Christian not shining Jesus, in other words, not living out their life as an example for others to find, is the equivalent of a lighthouse not letting the light shine. We dare not think how God would judge us if that is us for living our life in such a way. Only his grace can and does cover us for every time that we fail to reflect Jesus properly. If you and I are Christians today, I want to take the challenge. I want to challenge you, each of us. Let's let our light so shine so others can find the way. we want to take the time to share Christ with others because what is at stake if we don't? According to the word of God, an eternal destiny, a Christless eternity, is hell. So what is at stake? A painful, hurt and a harmed life is at stake with an eternity that would be even worse. We need to pray for our friends, our family. Pray like we care. Things always go best. Do you want to share your faith with someone? Things always go better if you pray for them first. He will provide the right opportunities. Prayer prepares the way and opens ears and hearts to the word of God. So, while I've talked about a very sensitive subject today, I dare not leave it there. It would be very remiss of me, not knowing all everyone here today, to not provide an opportunity with someone who may need to come back to Jesus. I wanna give you that opportunity today. Jesus died to save us from hell. He does not want anyone to spend eternity there. But he will not force us to spend eternity with him. The choice is ours. How will you and I respond? So today, I would like to invite you to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray just as I close. And if you pray that prayer, I'd invite you to come and see me after the service. And I'll chat with you and I'll make sure that someone else will follow up with you on that decision. It might be the first time you pray that prayer. It might be the third time you pray that prayer. But it might be that this time you're coming back to Jesus and saying, Lord, here I am. I'm surrendering my life to you. We would love to encourage you. We would love to pray with you at the end of the service. So if you do pray that, please see me online. If you're watching and you pray this prayer, would you please reach out to Pastor Louis? Tell someone online, I prayed that prayer today. And someone will follow up with you. Let's put the prayer up and we'll pray together. I'll pray it and you can follow if you want. Maybe pray out loud. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner and I want to turn from my sins. I need your help and I need your strength to do this. I ask you for your forgiveness. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sins and that you raised him from the dead. I want you to come into my life and be my Lord. I surrender to you now. I trust in Jesus as my saviour and I follow him as my Lord from this day forward. Amen. Father, I just pray for everyone here this morning. God, sitting under my teaching, those listening to the word of God online, I pray for them. That Lord, those that have been stirred by this word, that they'll do something about it. They'll put someone on their prayer list to pray for. If they've been praying for someone, they'll be bold to share their faith as you provide opportunity. And God, I pray for Alverston Baptist Church that many souls will be saved in this church in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you, church. I'm not going to be in a hurry to run off, so if you want some prayer, feel free. I'll be down here to pray with you.